Hello and welcome to another episode of Blood, Fear, and Beer, the podcast where we drink beer and talk about horror movies. My name's Alicia. My name's Greg. How are you doing, Greg? I am feeling frisk and lively. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am. How are you? I'm doing great. What are you drinking tonight? I jumped the gun. <laughs> you sure did. What the fuck? <laughs> I forgot what we were you're doing You're supposed here. to tell us what I you're know, drinking before you just start we guzzling it. <laughs> I'm drinking the, uh, it's good too, the Weekend Vibes from the Coronado Brewery. They make good shit. They do. And it's an IPA? It's an IPA. Nice. They have a Stingray IPA that I like quite a bit. I haven't seen that one in a really long time. I haven't either. I haven't really gone out all that much either, so that might explain why I haven't seen it. Well, I've been going to Total Wine like once a week and I haven't seen it. I've been looking for it too. And I was trying to figure out there's like this little map of California and then I couldn't tell if it was like a flag and what was going on. It's a weird way to tell us where they're located. Where are they located? San Diego? It's in uh, Escondido, I think, or San Diego, that area. Oh, okay. Something like that. It I don't says, know. I can't tell. Hang on, let me see. It says it's in Coronado. <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> lived here my whole life and I don't know where that is. It looks like it's around the Escondido, San Diego area. How is it? Yeah, it's good. Is it? It's piney. Can I taste it? Yeah, it's nice. You think I'll like it? You might. You've been it's liking hard to, weird shit lately. Yeah, it's hard to say nowadays what I'm going to like. Oh, it smells so good. Oh, it's got the one you don't like. The hop you don't like. Sure does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mosaic. Mosaic. That's super bitter. Nope. That's a no. Well, I like it. I'm glad you like it. Thanks. It's great. What are you drinking? I got myself from the Carl Strauss Brewing Company. Now, this one is from San Diego. It is their Oktoberfest beer. September. It is September, and I got it in August. But you know what? I've really been enjoying the fall-themed beers these last couple weeks, and I just want to keep the streak going. I got one for next week, too. Nice. So I'm going to keep it going as long as I can. This is like my favorite time of year to try new beers, because they have all this new shit coming out, like the seasonal ones. And it's usually not IPAs. That's true. Which is nice. So I've never had this one from them before. Well, try it out. It looks very pretty and ambery. Very boring. Oh, it's boring. <laughs> it's very boring. Kind of a boring Oktoberfest beer. It's boring as fuck. Is it flat or is it boring? I can't tell. Try it. I can't tell if it's flat or boring. Ew. I think it's boring. Yeah, I think it's just. There's n- stupid. No, no. I can <laughs> taste like a freshness to it though. Yeah, it doesn't taste like it's old. It's just no. not good. There's just not much going on there, especially for the color. It tastes like a waste of calories. Yeah, I think we're going to have to do a pausarino here. All right, that's better. Got myself a Mermaid Red. By? Coronado. Damn Skippy. So we watched, I won't call it a new one because it's been out since 1983, but a new one for us this week, and that was 1983's Christine. So this had the triple whammy of being an 80s horror. It was directed by John Carpenter, and it was based on a Stephen King book. That's a triple threat. Triple threat. What did you think of it? It was much better than I was expecting. Yeah, same. I wasn't sure what to expect going into it. I was kind of worried that it might be too late to see it, because it's kind of a it kind of has its own cult following. Like A lot of people love this movie, but a lot of people who love it also saw it when it came out or kind of grew up with it, and I kind of missed that window a little bit. But I was surprised how much I enjoyed it. It did hold up a lot better than I was expecting it to, or at least it wasn't quite as dated as I was expecting. Right. And for a movie that's about a killer car, it was pretty good. I agree. I feel like it's as good as a movie about a killer car can be. Yeah. 
So I, I give it props for that. Plus, John Carpenter is the shit. And he's the only one that could pull that off. Yeah, if anybody can make that concept cool, it's him. I'm just imagining any other director reading that script and being, you want me to do what? <laughs> and John, Carpenter, John Carpenter's like, he's like, I'll do yeah, it. Yeah, no problem. I actually read that he accepted it just because he wanted a job. He didn't really care what it was, but he had done The Thing uh, a year or two before that and it completely bombed when it was released, which is so crazy to think of now with what a deep appreciation horror fans have for it. And it's now like widely considered his best movie. Right. And it bombed so bad when it came out that he was originally hired to direct another Stephen King movie, which was Firestarter. And then after the thing had come out and bombed so badly, they fired him from Firestarter. It's gotta be so sad to get fired as a director. He was actually on that documentary that I was super cracked out on. It's a four-hour documentary on Shudder, and it's all about 80s horror. It goes through every single year, the different directors, the different themes that you see in these movies, the special effects, practical effects, and it's super awesome. So check it out if any of you are into 80s horror. But John Carpenter was in it quite a few times, just talking about his work and the movies that he likes, and... He mentioned that he was so shocked at how badly the thing did. It kind of like fucked him up for a while. You know, he had already done Halloween, which was relatively successful. And then he got hired to do that Firestarter movie and got fired because the thing did so poorly. And I don't remember who the new director that was that came on to do Firestarter. But that one is considered like one of the, I want to say one of the worst Stephen King adaptations, but people really don't seem to like that one. Yeah, I was thinking when I read that that I don't even know if I've heard of that one before. Yeah, it's not super well known. It was actually uh, Drew Barrymore was in it when she was a kid. Hmm. She was like one of the main characters, but I've never seen it. I've just heard that it's not super well regarded. Yeah, it's like you said, it was really interesting to read how the thing had failed so miserably right before this for John Carpenter. And it's amazing how time can really put things into perspective for people or something can be before its time. And... There's a lot of uh, research that's gone into looking at people's reactions to things and Mm -hmm. what happens with market studies, because they're very limited, because they're looking for people that you either like it or you don't like it, essentially. But what they fail to recognize is that there's a difference between essentially not being comfortable with something or being different and not liking it. Yeah. And what happens is that when something is new and original, and I don't know that whole time period all that much so I don't know how new and original that particularly was but I'm just kind of basing off the way it failed in the way that's awesome now right. I imagine it was just not something audiences were used to so it was different for a horror movie and in that sense I think it was it probably just kind of like people didn't know how to categorize it in their heads or how to talk about it right and then later on they're like no actually this is really fucking good I feel like that's the case with so many of these movies that are now considered like some of the greatest movies of all time. Mm -hmm. Like they just bombed when they first came out. Like I know The Shining didn't do well either when that first came out. Yeah. People just did not like that movie. And one of the big things, especially back in the day, because they didn't have every asshole with a phone and an opinion on the internet that could tell you what they thought of it. So you really relied on critics. Yeah. And so if a critic didn't understand it and it was new and edgy or different they're not going to take the risk on it so it was just bad exactly and so now that has a pretty profound effect on how consumable it is to people yeah and i gotta give it to john carpenter because i 
I know there have been so many cases where a director will say yes to a project or come on board to a movie and you can tell they really just aren't into it and that they just took it on because they want a job. But I feel like even though that was the case where he took this on because he needed work and he wanted a job, he still took the time to write the score for the movie, make sure it had killer special effects, and it, he just put his all into it. Like, it 100% has his professional stamp on it. Yeah, even when I feel that he's fucking around, yeah, he puts himself all in. Yeah, again, I feel that for a movie that was about a killer car, and it could have been really cheesy, it was cheesy, but not all that much. Not nearly yeah. as much as it could have been. It didn't take itself too seriously. It knows, like, okay, this is a movie about a killer car. This is a ridiculous subject matter. We're just going to have fun with it. He had fun with it, but also tried to make it more about something deeper. Yes. I guess. Go into the the characters and toxic relationships and personalities. Yes. That was another thing that kind of surprised me about this movie. I feel like there is a lot that you can pull from this theme-wise. And that's another thing that I absolutely love about these 80s horror movies is I feel like most of them are like that. Like, I keep thinking of The Fly and how much we got out of that and Nightmare on Elm Street and just all of those classic 80s movies. It seems like there's so much going on. Yeah, as we were watching this, I was thinking to myself, oh, this is what it's about. And then I would watch it a little bit more and like, actually, I could really do this other thing. Yeah. It could be about this more so than that. Or it could be this thing. And it was just one after another. Is it about obsession of objects is it just about toxic relationships is it about consumerism yeah there's so many different lenses and motifs that you could view this through that i think would be interesting definitely and i I got a couple as well and i kind of did the same thing i was like okay i'm gonna view it through this lens or this theme and then something else would happen i was like oh this works too and really there are several that you can pull from this and apply to the movie and they all work yeah for sure It's got a lot going on. I will say after seeing another John Carpenter movie, I've seen a handful now. The only thing that I've noticed about his movies that I'm not super crazy about is I seem to have, even with The Thing, which I absolutely love, and then with Halloween, which I'm not crazy about, but I have a lot of respect for, I kind of have an issue with the way that John Carpenter movies are paced. Definitely. The pacing, it's not necessarily that the movies are all slow. It's just that the pacing seems kind of strange and I don't want to say inconsistent either because I don't think he's like haphazardly throwing events together like with the thing that's kind of a long movie and it starts off just balls to the wall and then right around the middle I always blank out on what happened because the pacing just gets weird and then it like ramps back up again yeah it seems like there's that that slow spot yeah like it gets you going and there all of a sudden you like hit a A traffic surge. Yeah. And like with this movie, it was the same thing. And I can't even say 100% where the pacing kind of faltered for me. But I just feel like this was a two-hour movie that had no right to be a two-hour movie. No. The moment we turned it on and I saw it was two hours, I was a little mad. Yeah. I was like, what could possibly happen? I'm like, it's a movie about a fucking car that kills people. This (laughs) does not need to be two hours. Like 20 minutes could have been shaved off of that easily. We've said it before. I'll say it again. Hour and a half... It's the golden yeah, for a horror movie. Unless you really got something to say. If it's a sci-fi horror, okay, slap on an extra half an hour. Or if you're Ari Aster, do what you gotta do. Do what you gotta do. Yeah. But most horror movies, hour and a half is the golden ticket. Yeah, 100%. But other than that, I liked it. And it 
definitely made me feel kind of nostalgic for, I won't say my teenage years because I got my first car pretty late in the game, but it was such a fun reminder of like that feeling of immense freedom when you finally get your car and get into it and drive it for the first time. And at the beginning of the movie, it opens with Bad to the Bone and it ends with Bad to the Bone, which I fucking loved because that was my favorite thing when I got my car and I would just like drive it down PCH. Whenever that song came on the radio, I would be so stoked. <laughs> you know, I was uh, reading about that little aspect because I guess John Carpenter is the one who picked that song because mm-hmm. he was looking for like the perfect song to, to fit in there. And what I thought was really interesting because that's obviously an incredibly iconic song. Yeah. Like, who doesn't know that? It's so cliche at this point. It's been played everywhere. That was the first time it had ever been in a film. No way. Yeah. That was basically the first time the public had ever heard it like that. I was going to say, wasn't it in Terminator? But it was Terminator 2. Yeah. I guess wow. John Carpenter oh, had yeah, seen it on... He saw, saw a music video on MTV and was just like, this is it. This is the fucking song. And he loved it. He loved George Thorogood. And so much so that he actually invited George Thorogood to be an extra in the auto shop. Oh, no way. Or not the auto shop, but at the uh, junkyard. Uh-huh. And to be, like, one of the workers picking through there or something like that. Can and they filmed it? it and everything. But I guess he cut it because he said George Thorogood was, like, so bad at acting. Are you serious? I'm like, how That's bad do you have to a... be as an extra extra? That's such a John Carpenter move, too. <laughs> He's such know. a crotchety old bastard. <laughs> yeah, come on, man. It'd be great. Nah, you fucking suck. I'm not putting that in there. Oh, man. <laughs> Kudos to him for sticking to his guns, because I'm trying to imagine how bad it could have been, because the acting in this movie was not great. And I was thinking about that, too, (laughs) because I don't feel like most of the 80s horror movies have very good acting in the first place. So that's another thing. I was like, how bad did it have to be compared to this other shit that we were seeing? Even compared to the rest of this movie. Yeah. Like the guys in the auto shop? Or the bullies, or Arnie. Yeah. Well, when I say auto shop, I'm in the quad. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Yeah, it just really made me kind of, especially at the beginning and when you first bought the car, kind of nostalgic for just that feeling when you get your first car. So I know for you, you had a Saturn, right? Had a Saturn SL. So what's the story behind your first car? How did Greg come across his first car and what was that like for you? Well, I was commuting to work. I started working when I was like 15. Mm Mm-hmm. And there was a a neighbor of mine that actually happened to work at the same place that I was working at, who I didn't even know. I just knew him. I I got to know him through work. And I had been going to work with my sister's boyfriend at the time. And so he would give me a ride in the morning. And then things kind of got weird there. And I still needed a job. And I got to know this guy at work who was really cool. And so he started giving me a ride. And then I started becoming friends with this other dude there, his name was Rex, and he was such a huge part of my late adolescence, if you will. He was an awesome guy. When I was 15, 16, 17, you know, he was in his mid-30s, wife and kid and all that, but yeah. I always hung out with people way older than me. So we got to know each other really well, and then he knew that I was trying to get a car so I can get to work and everything, and he had the Saturn. And I also was trying to learn how to drive, and I was trying to learn with my mom, and... That was not happening. <laughs> no. And then I was trying to learn with my grandpa, and he had taught my sister, but he just wasn't... It was kind of different, wasn't you know, the dynamic. Yeah. And so that wasn't working. And then he's like, fuck, I'll teach you how to drive. And uh, so that was super cool. I remember the first time we get in, and it, he was driving that Saturn. Right. That Saturn SL. It was a stick shift. 
and my mom's car is a stick stitch, so that's what I was learning. And he takes me to the first lesson. He's like, you know, we'll go around town, whatever. Just meet me over here. And uh, we start going around. I'd only been driving for like 10 minutes. And he goes, all right, go over here, get in this lane. Uh, keep going, keep going. No, go go ahead and keep on going right. And he puts me on the freeway. I'd never been on the oh freeway before. <laughs> I'd hardly been driving. He had me drive all the way to L.A. And then drive through the L.A. city streets, which was terrifying. The whole thing was fucking terrifying. Oh, my God. But then it was super awesome because we got to stop there. And it was like I stayed all night. And then he had me drive back. And it was like a great experience. I got to have Thai food for the first time in my life. Nice. That was and, your first uh, Thai food? Yeah, there? there was like this rock and roll Thai food place that was super old. That's and so cool. So I learned how to drive in that car, and since we all worked together and everything, he was looking to get a new vehicle anyways, and so he ended up selling me that one that I learned on for a really, I mean, it was a piece of shit car anyways, but right. he sold it to me for pretty cheap, and he let me make payments on it anyways, because I was broke. So, that's the story of the Saturn, and I, I love that. that thing. And it was one I used to smoke, because I was a stupid teenager, Right. and so that was like the best, was smoking in the car, and just having my own car and it was a stick shift and I thought it was super cool and I had the, the Saturn door so you could literally hit them with a sledgehammer and they were they were plastic so they didn't dent. You know, they just go <laughs> I actually never knew that story. I realized while we were watching this movie, like shit, I remember you having that car, but I don't know the story of like how you got your car. I love that. That's I remember so nice. I thought it was, I was so stupid because I was trying to hide the fact that I was smoking from my, my dad's side of the family. Right. From my grandpa and my uncle and stuff. And they used to smell the cigarettes on me, obviously. Yeah, it's kind and of hard to hide that. And I'd always lie and say it was my friends. And then my my uncle goes in the back and he just goes, and all the ash in the back. <laughs> like, so he like runs his finger yeah. across the All the ash in the back. I don't go in the backseat of my car. I don't know. What were you, like 16, 17? Oh, yeah, I think I was 17. Oh, man. Busted. Yeah, big That's time. So funny. Big time busted. <laughs> That was really funny. Oh, man. Yeah, for me, like I said, I I got my car pretty late in the game, just mostly due to being completely broke and not having a lot of resources to teach me how to drive. But learning how to drive is actually a really fond memory for me because it started off as, like, my first year of college when I really started learning how to drive. In high school, I was dating a guy at the time who kind of started to teach me and then kind of stopped because his parents were like don't you dare and you know my first year of college we split up towards the end of the year and that was that so I had to get rides to school still and learn how to drive and then it was pretty soon after that that my mom my brother and I we moved into my grandparents house to help them out and then my grandpa started teaching me how to drive which was awesome and he had that big like f-150 truck and for some reason I had always wanted to get a truck I knew that I wanted to drive a truck. I like being high up off the ground. I like feeling like I can run someone's ass down if I have to. Just for, for safety purposes. For, <laughs> you know, if I got to run someone's ass down, I want to be able to do that. So he started teaching me in his truck. And then I, I got my permit. And what he would do is he would drive me to college every morning. Or I would drive myself to college every morning with him in the passenger seat. Because, you know, when you have your permit, you have to have somebody in the passenger right. seat. So I would drive myself to school and that's how I would learn. And then he would drive back home and then he'd pick me up again when I was done, whenever he could, if he wasn't working. And then I would drive us back home. And that's how I learned how to drive. Nice. And he was so awesome about it too. Like he would also 
take time out of his day on the weekends to help me perfect things. So there's like that cul-de-sac in their neighborhood by the wetlands where it's like a dead end and it's open over there. So he would like set up blocks that were just barely wider than the wheels of the car and have me do a perfect parking job like without knocking over the blocks and practice that, which was super frustrating. But when I got it, it was awesome. Your grandpa's the best. He's seriously the best. He got me braces. He taught me how to drive. He taught me all kinds of shit. Like, He's the best. I'm just imagining. But, he's so cool. Like, yeah. I just, like, setting all that up for you so you can do that out there. Yeah, and that was that was a good time for me, too. Like, I loved getting that time with him every single day, like, driving to school. Yeah. It was awesome. And then, you know how much he loves music and what big music fans you and I are. So that was, like, an awesome chance for us to bond over music, too. He'd be like, okay, what do you have for me today? And I would, like, put in a CD that I burned. And he was bas- he was into everything, just about everything. So we would bond over music, we would talk on the way to school, it was just a really awesome memory, and then I finally got my driver's license, I think I had like just turned 21, or was about to turn 21 when I finally got my license, which was amazing, and then I was like, okay, now I need a car, and I'm broke, that was when I I was working minimum wage at Osh, I did not have money for a car, so my dad's boss, who's a super awesome guy, they have these uh, Toyota Tacomas that they use as work trucks. And this guy takes better care of his cars than anybody I've ever met. Like at one point they had the, like the fleet from 2001 and he had completely replaced all of their engines, transmission, radiators. Like it it was basically like they were brand new cars and then he sold them to get the new cars in. So he ended up selling me one of these trucks. I think the rest of them he had sold from anywhere from like eight to 9,000. And these trucks had like almost 300,000 miles on them, but they had had so much work done. They were practically brand new. He sold me this truck for 2,500 and let me make payments on it. Oh, that's crazy. That's so awesome. It was such a great deal. And I will never forget getting in that truck and driving home from Pomona on the freeway by myself for the first time. I like hollered the whole way home. <laughs> oh, I know. That, that first time <laughs> that you have your own license and your own car. Oh my God. It's such freedom. It was like one of the best feelings I've ever had. And then, of course, Bad, I think I called you because Bad of the Bone came on the radio. And I was like, Greg, <laughs> Bad of the Bone came on. It was so awesome. But just really fond memories. Yeah, I love the, the music in this, too, because that's such a big part of getting your first car. Yeah. At least it was for out, me. For sure. Like, that was the best thing was just going around and listening to music at night and cruising around. I gotta tell you one last fun story about yeah. <laughs> it's really embarrassing. It's funny. <laughs> I uh, I had just gotten my license. I think I got it when I turned eighteen because they had there's some other like provisional stuff. Okay. You know, if you wanted to get it before that, and it was just like there's too much drama and shit going on at home, and it just wasn't gonna happen. Right. So the only way I could do it was like I literally got my license on my eighteenth birthday. So I I gotten it, but I still had only been driving to work and back, and in fact. <laughs> I had this happen twice now that I think about it. It was like my second day driving to work by myself. And I was living in like the Costa Mesa area, Huntington Beach area. Uh And then driving out to the Irvine Mission Viejo area, which very different topographical street, the way the streets are structured and everything. And in the Mission Viejo area, everything is like these long, winding streets, and it takes forever to get to the next light, and you're not, it literally changes directions by like 90 degrees, like the one street you're on, so it's hard to keep track of your bearings. Yeah. 
And of course I was rocking out in the morning and I got off one exit early. No problem. I'll just take the street down. But <laughs> I was driving around for like a half an hour. I was late for work. I finally had a call oh <laughs> and talked to the truck driver at my work. <laughs> I'm like, dude, I'm lost. I don't, this was before cell phones, you know, MapQuest and everything. I thought right. like a little flip phone and shit. Or actually, I think I had to call, I had to use a payphone to call. That's oh what gosh. it was. I had to use, call, use a payphone and he had to, <laughs> yeah, I didn't know any, I wasn't even near a street. Like, because oh they're so far away. Like, I only know one, one street that I'm on. I didn't know the cross street. And he's like, all right, what direction is the sun? <laughs> <laughs> and he had to get me home from there. But similar to that, so that was super embarrassing getting to work after that. They gave me so much shit. <laughs> Similarly, I think it was that weekend. It was right after I got my license. And I had my buddy Keith, and we were going to go camping. And so I'm all gun-ho, and he's all gun-ho. We're going to get out. We're going to be free, you know first trip and I start with everything packed up and going and I start going on the freeway and we're driving for a while and we realize we went the wrong direction Uh-oh. and there was all kinds of traffic and it was all fun we left it I think it was like Friday at quitting time so the traffic on the freeways was just fucked everywhere on the streets and so it was a major hassle it was stressful and we literally spent probably like two hours essentially making a circle Oh, man. Around <laughs> a relatively small area. And it was already getting to be nighttime. And I finally was like, I don't think this is happening right now, man. Like, I don't even know where the fuck we're going. We just fucked up. I don't want to be driving all night long. It was bad enough getting lost in the city, let alone on a fucking mountain road somewhere. Yeah. And he was so pissed. <laughs> just disappointed pissed, you know. Yeah. But it was just, it was funny. Kudos to you for deciding to call it in before you guys got lost out in the boonies. I just wasn't feeling it. Yeah. I was ready to go like the next weekend, but after that defeat... It's probably for the best. I was like, I can't handle another one of those right now. You need a reset. You want to talk about Christine now? Why not? Let's do it. So the premise of this one is fairly simple. We have our main character whose name is Arnie, short for Arnold, and he is a very unpopular kind of nerdy high school kid. He's about 17, and he comes across this beat-up 1958... Plymouth Fury, and for some reason he is just completely enamored with it. He has to buy it. So he buys the car, fixes it up, and becomes so obsessed with this car that his entire personality changes. He starts being super aggressive with his family, his friends, his girlfriend. He completely turns into a different person and basically becomes monstrous. And on top of that, the car itself, whose name is Christine, is plain and simple just an evil car it's a car that kills people yeah and she's also very jealous and very possessive of arnie and it seems that whoever owns her at the time i just remember that we forgot to watch the futurama episode where they... no god damn it <laughs> <laughs> stop the show <laughs> we'll be back in half an hour it's so good yeah, Damn. in the futurama episode they do like a skit on christine and i don't remember i'm gonna murder this i'm not gonna do it justice but they make some kind of joke about it coming off the, the most evil car that's ever been conceived it has the steering wheel from hitler's Volkswagen <laughs> w and the blinker from mussolini's thing. <laughs> like, all the most evil dictators in the world and pieces of their oh man it's fucking oh, great it's okay we gotta find what episode that is i think it's the oh. honking the honking yeah 
don't ask me why I remember that. I love that show so much. Oh, man. I can't believe you forgot to watch that. And then the best joke in that, in my opinion, is when they go to the uh, Chrysler building uh-huh. and somebody had graffitied anti in front of Chrysler. Anti Chrysler. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like that. that that perfectly describes Christine. It is. It's the anti-Chrysler. Yeah, Chrysler. And the movie opens in, uh, it opens in 1957 in Detroit. And it, it opens with that song, of course, Bad to the Bone. And there are all these other 1958 Plymouths. It's the brand new model. And they're all like this boring tan color, except for Christine. She is this gorgeous, shiny, candy apple red. And... This intro is apparently not at all what happened in the book. Apparently in Stephen King's book, Christine wasn't made evil or born evil, however you want to say it. She was actually possessed by her former owner, Roland, who they do mention later on in the movie. But for budget reasons, he thought it would be easier to have a car that was just born evil than to, one, have another actor to work with and have to pay and then this owner is supposed to be dead and ghostly, so you would also have to pay for the continuous makeup and special effects of, like, a corpse taunting Arnie, basically. Yeah, I've read that it was actually the screenwriter that made those decisions. Oh, okay. A big part of his thing was, A, like you said, the the amount of money it would cost to doll somebody up, you know, and make them presentable yeah. would be kind of outrageous and pain in the ass. Yeah. And then another huge aspect for him as a writer was the fact that there was already a movie that had basically done something similar mm-hmm. where there's like this corpse that's telling the main character what to do and why to do it. Yeah. Which is essentially what Christine does is interacting. And yeah. it was uh, American Werewolf of London. Apparently the guy, the main character's best friend dies and he comes back as a corpse and interacts with him the whole time. Oh, okay. I haven't seen like, that either. That would be actually... super stupid and cliche and redundant. Yeah. So let's do this something better. I haven't seen that either. I got to see that one. I feel like I would like it. So I felt, from what I read about it at least, I think that was probably a good good call. I think so too, especially with like some of the themes that you and I were talking about and things that we pulled out of this movie. I feel like that works better with Christine as kind of a an empty vessel rather than like being possessed by her former owner. It just I feel like it leaves a lot more open to interpretation theme wise. Definitely. Yeah, so I liked the beginning, and then right off the bat we see how evil Christine is because one of the workers gets up and grabs the front of the hood of the car, and the hood's open. And then he has his fingers in there, and then the hood just like... I love how the camera pans up to the top of the hood because you know what's going to happen before it does, and then it just slams down on this guy's finger, and he just starts screaming, and then you still have Bad of the Bone blasting, (laughs) and this guy's just like screaming with his smashed fingers in the car. And then there's another guy at the end of the day who goes to sit in Christine. And you can tell he just wants to sit in this brand new gorgeous car. And he brings his cigar in there and like flings the ashes onto the seat, which evidently pisses her off. So then I don't think we see what happens to this guy. We just see when the rest of the workers come up and open the door and then his corpse falls out. Yeah. He like has a heart attack or something. Yeah. Yeah, I thought yeah, that so, was a great intro. Yeah. And you just get to see her right off the assembly line. <laughs> Immediately, she's like, ah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, Christine bites. <laughs> so, good start. And then, uh, right after that, we jump to 1978. And we meet Arnie, who is just an over-the-top dweeb. Yeah, he's 
just every cliche you can possibly imagine. Chess club plays Scrabble. His, he's got the glasses. He's awkward with girls. He gets picked on by bullies. Just tick the box. He's a dweeb. Yeah. Oh, my God. And the, speaking of over the top, like, these bullies are just on all of the steroids. Major 80s bullies. You have dudes in auto shop class that are in their 30s and are bodybuilders. <laughs> and you got to have the switchblade. You've got the switchblade. That made me laugh so much because that was so true. Like, in my high school, all of the guys in auto shop were way over 18. I just... I. At what point do you stop admitting to normal college? I understand continuation school and shit, but at some point you don't want 30-year-olds interacting with 18-year-olds. Yeah, at your high school. At your high school. <laughs> well, it cracks me up. That just made me laugh. And also just the fact that in a lot of these 80s movies, the 80s bullies will fucking kill you. Oh, straight up kill you. Like, they're not just being assholes. Like, they will kill you. Or inflict insane property damage. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. And then... For nothing more than, you know, making them look bad in shop class. Yes. <laughs> like, that's it. You are fucking done, buddy. Yeah. Done. And then the way that they interact with the teachers and the teachers interact with them, too. Yeah. That's a whole whole bag of shit there. You have, like, the auto shop teacher who's ready to just throw down with these, quote-unquote... I won't call them kids, but students... Yeah. You know, just like, come on, motherfucker, I'll fuck you up. Yeah. <laughs> That's like a... You see that a lot in Carrie, which is one of my favorite Stephen King adaptations. And that one came out in the late 70s. And there's this gym teacher in that movie that straight up, like, bitch slaps her students on a regular basis. It's crazy. <laughs> Bring it back to the good old days, man. <laughs> That's how you did it. Yeah, I think that the only character I really cared about in this movie was Arnie's best friend, Dennis. That guy was just a gem of a friend. He was a saint. Of a human being. Yeah. Team Dennis. Team Dennis. Go Dennis. And then Arnie's girlfriend, Lee. She was cool. She was cool. She was fine. Yeah. yeah. No issues there. But yeah, as far as... Uh, I guess that was another kind of small critique I had about this movie is in a two-hour span of time... They didn't give me enough time to really develop any empathy for Arnie. So once he starts being a dick, which is pretty quick, I just, I hated him so much. And with how things escalated and how, you know, his friends and his girlfriend are so concerned about him, they don't know what's happening to their friend. And then, you know, the climax at the end where he ends up, spoiler alert, dying, I just, I felt nothing for him. No, not at all. I don't give a shit. I'm glad he's dead. Yeah. I kind of got the impression like this is it was supposed to be kind of a tragic ending and that it kind of missed the mark for me. Again, like you said, it was kind of a, a relief that it was over and he's gone. I think part of the tragic ending, and I could be just pontificating a little bit here, <laughs> but going into the deeper themes, obviously adolescence is a shit time to be alive and yeah. people make horrible mistakes all the time Yeah. that, let's face it, most people get away with doing... I mean, you can look at you growing up or me. Like, we all did really stupid shit. Yeah. And we lived. And we got away with it. And we're okay. But not everybody does. Yeah. And I think that's one of those situations, at least that's what I got out of it, was here you have just another adolescent that's going through this phase, if you will, and didn't survive. Oh, that's so sad. 
When you say it like that, yeah. Because we, even though we didn't get to see him all that much, so we don't feel all that much empathy for him, we yeah. know that he's not that person. Well, that's why I think it's a critique I have of the movie itself and, like, the way that it was done. I just feel like in that two-hour time frame, they didn't really give us enough time to understand that about Arnie or even think of that, really. But, you know, going deeper into it, when you put it like that, it does make it a lot more tragic because, I mean, how many of us have known somebody at that age or in high school who maybe not necessarily died, I mean, hopefully not, but people who made decisions that had catastrophic consequences because they thought they were invincible or they thought nothing could happen to them. Right. DUI or yeah. accident, whatever. Yeah, there were a lot of people at my high school who got DUIs or went to jail or mm-hmm. OD'd or got into accidents. Like, it's just... Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. And, and most people don't have to answer at least not to the ex- the extent that they maybe ought to, or it's at least a potential possibility the, to answer to the extreme for their actions, but other people do. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. That's a good point. And then the other thing, and this is something that I think pretty much all 80s movies do and some 90s movies, they don't do a very good job of making any other characters likable. Like, usually there's maybe one or two. Usually it's supposed to be the main character. Like mm-hmm. you said, you're supposed to get some kind of empathy for them. Or in this case, it was actually his friend, Dennis, that you feel the most for. But in these movies in the 80s, like, the parents are horrible. You <laughs> hate them. You hate his classmates. You hate his teachers. Everybody about anything. It just... It's, it's And I guess that's part of maybe the whole idea here was that when you're a teenager, everyone sucks. Yeah. And so it's just yeah. the, the perception of the kids of what they're seeing. Definitely. But at the same time, it makes it hard to watch a movie when everybody sucks. Yeah, I felt the same way about this one in particular, which is why I was like clinging on to Dennis as like the only really likable character. And like like we said, Lee was fine, but there just there wasn't a whole lot happening there. But just this whole time I felt so bad for Dennis and I kept thinking like he does not deserve this guy as a friend. At all. At least not. At least not after he gets possessed. The five minutes that we saw of Arnie when he was not possessed. I read something interesting about the actor that played Arnie. Oh, yeah? Keith Gordon? Yeah. So, do you know who they actually had given the role to beforehand? I do. Wasn't it Kevin Bacon? Yeah. I would have loved that. I know. And it was before he was like the bacon. Yeah. But he dropped out, good for him, for Footloose. (laughs) So, he actually left it to go be in that movie. But before that, he'd only been his biggest one. He'd been in, I think, Friday the 13th. Yeah, yeah. And then something else I can't really recall. But they weren't very big roles, you know. And now he's in everything. Now he's in everything. Now you got Six Degrees from Kevin Bacon. (laughs) Footloose was like one of his, you know, breakout roles. Yeah. So good for him for for making the right call there. Good for him, but I would have loved to see him in this. Oh, he great in that. Yes. You know, especially that transformation between the dweeb to like that cocky asshole. Oh, I can see it. Oh, for sure. He would have nailed that. I also liked, speaking of the cast and people being unbearable, something else I read about John Carpenter was that the production company had wanted him to use some bigger names in this. And he fought fought them tooth and nail on it. And he's like, no, they're going to take away from the star of the show. Like, the star is Christine. Yeah. Like, everyone else should be just a B actor compared 
for Christine. I and want, they were. They were. Yeah. And that was like his whole thing. Like he's like, I want her to shine, like literally shine in every possible way. I don't think he said it as cheesy yeah. as I'm saying it. I didn't mean to, but but I'm feeling it, and she did. It. Yeah, and it really brings yeah. out the character yeah. of the car. Those were my favorite moments where it was just her, like out on the prowl at oh, night. Yeah. I loved that. So that I thought was that fun. was a good call. Yeah, definitely a good call. So let's kind of jump ahead a little bit because we, of course, this is, it's a two-hour movie. There's a lot of a build-up before he gets the car. There's a lot of interactions with the bullies. So when he actually goes to buy Christine, she's kind of sitting out in the back of this, I guess, junkyard. And she's super beat up. And uh, he's driving with Dennis. And they had been talking about girls all day and you know, trying to get Arnie laid and just like typical high school guy talk. And then they drive by this junkyard and you don't see anything at first. And then Arnie's like, wait, go back. I just want to get a look at her. And your first thought is, oh, there's some girl that they like walking by. So they back up and you see this beat up, rusty old car just sitting in the junkyard. And Arnie gets out to go fawn over it, basically. And Dennis is asking him, like, are you crazy? This is a piece of shit. You don't want this car. And then one of my favorite characters in this movie George LeBay comes out. He's this like grizzled old man, super skinny, just hollowed out face, gruff voice. He comes out and starts telling him about the car. Like her name's Christine, used to belong to my brother. I'll give you, I'll give her to you for 250 bucks. And I'm thinking, shit, that's a good deal. But you know, you gotta think this is 1978. So for a piece of shit, for a piece of shit. So maybe not, but (laughs) Dennis is adamantly trying to talk him out of it saying you're getting ripped off. You don't want this car. And Arnie wants this car more than anything in the world. He's obsessed with it immediately. Yeah. He doesn't care what the price is. Yeah. He he pays 300 for it. Well, he's going to. Yeah. Dennis talks back down. Because first he says 300 and then Dennis is like, come on, dude. And he's like, oh, 250 then. Yeah. And he's like, sold. Take it. Whatever you want. And then want. it goes back up to 300 Well, though. then the guy comes yeah. back out and he's like, all right, well, what do we say? Uh, 300 Sure. And the guy's <laughs> like, Dennis like, no, what the fuck are you talking about, dude? We said 250 Yeah. But Arnie wants to pay the 300 He wants Christine. Well, I think he pays 250 for it, though. Does he? Okay, yeah. good. Because, yeah, 300 is too much. And also, what's the old dude's name? The one who sells him Christine? Yeah. George LeBay. George, okay. Yeah. Yeah, George A., that man was made for horror movies. Mm-hmm. That guy was great Loved casting. Him. Yeah. And then B., he keeps on talking shit to Dennis and basically saying, like, if you think your friend's an idiot, you're, you're stupider than you actually look because yeah. you're not seeing what he's seeing. And even when there's a point where Dennis goes back to talk to him because it's after Arnie starts acting weird. Yeah. And why did you sell my friend in that car? Like, what the fuck? I don't know what his deal is, but he hasn't been the same since. And it's through that, that interaction, I'm jumping ahead here, but it's through that interaction that George begins to tell Dennis about how his brother had owned that car and there's the the tragic history behind it. Like his five-year-old daughter had died in the back seat and choked to death. And then his wife, I think, committed suicide in the car and then, essentially, he committed suicide in the car. Yeah, and that was after he tried to get rid of Christine. And then she showed up again, like, a couple of days later, just yes. on her own. And then I think that's when he killed himself in the car or died in the car. And it had just been sitting there ever since and for, then, like, 20 years. Yeah, and George actually says, like, that was the only time I ever tried to tell him what to do with this thing. It's like, try to get rid of it. And that's what eventually killed him. And Dennis is like, what do you fucking mean it came back? He's like... 
boy, you fucked stupider than you look. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what it was about George other than his entire family dying that like helped him resist the temptation of Christine or like protected him from Christine. Well, I got the impression that it only works on some people. Yeah. And I got the impression, I'm speculating here, but I get the impression that it, it's kind of like a cult. Okay. Like it needs the right person at the, at the right, right time. time in their life to be yeah. susceptible to it. Like most people see through the bullshit automatically. Like Dennis did. That's what I mean. Yeah. And I think most people do. Why would you be enamored by a piece of shit? Right. You know, or whatever it is. But the right person at the right time in their life, it can be the most important thing that's ever happened to them. And that makes sense for Arnie when you see, like, how things are at home and how strict and just, like, super aggro his parents are and how Dennis is really his only friend. He wants this new car and the freedom that it symbolizes more than anything he's willing to do anything to get it so he buys this car and takes it to this do-it-yourself garage and this is where we meet my other favorite character will who owns the garage definitely my favorite character yeah he has some of my favorite lines like don't think you've got the gold key to the crapper (laughs) and everyone calls each other a shitter in this movie yeah their favorite insult shitter Talking to me like that, you shitter. He just immediately starts like berating Dennis and Arnie and saying, oh, yeah. like, don't get any ideas. You're lucky I even let you come in here. Just berating them. But he immediately gets to work on Christine, starts fixing her up, and the next it kind of jumps ahead a little bit time wise. And the next time we see Christine, it's at Dennis's big football game because he's like a, a star football player. And there's the this girl, Lee, who we know is Arnie's girlfriend, that Dennis had actually had a huge crush on. Like this is Everybody the, in the school. Everybody, yeah. She's the new girl, and she's the most attractive girl in the whole school. Yeah, like everybody wants to date her. And we see one scene where Dennis is kind of trying to talk to her in the library. He doesn't really get very far. And now he's at this football game, and he's in the middle of running, and then he looks over and sees Arnie... Like, without his glasses, wearing a leather jacket, hair slicked back like a greaser, and in front of this gorgeous, shiny red car. Making out. Making out with Lee. And you can see just, like, the betrayal on his face as he's running. Like, I what think the fuck? the shock. Yeah, the shock Everything and about yeah. that was just shocking to him. Yeah. Here he had a guy that he was literally begging to try to get him to ask any girl out. You know, let alone the hottest girl in school. And to be able to get her to go with him. I think the whole thing was just... And the, you know, the appearance of him and showing up and that public display of... I won't call it affection, but... Ownership. Yeah. Which, for him, was something that I get the impression he never would have done. Yeah. You know, so I think everything about that was just straight up shocking. Yeah, shocking. And I do think he was a little betrayed because you see this look on his face and then he just like has this kind of grimace and he starts running at full speed towards that car, towards Arnie. And I, it seems like he doesn't even realize what he's doing at first. He's just so distracted. And then all of a sudden he gets tackled so hard, like, you know, it's bad. And he lands on his back. And then we find out pretty shortly after that he had, he definitely broke his leg and it looks like he broke his neck too. And he's never going to play football again. Yeah. And Super tragic. That, you know, of course, the classic story almost got paralyzed. 
yeah, had it been like, you know, a quarter of an inch in this direction, I would probably be paralyzed. Yeah, eighth of an inch. But... Yeah, eighth of an inch. Okay. I knew it was close. Twice as yeah. close. Yeah. I thought the scene after that in the hospital was pretty interesting where Arnie comes to visit him and he's talking to him and talking about Lee and how great things have been and how awesome this car is and how he got her all fixed up. And then he starts talking about, Arnie starts talking about his parents and he says, this is actually my favorite line of the whole movie. Yeah. So I, I wanted to ask you what you make of this. Cause I, I wrote it down immediately and I just, I don't know what to make of it, but he says to Dennis, has it ever occurred to you that part of being a parent is trying to kill your kids? Yeah. I'm not sure what to make of that either, especially coming from Arnie. Right. What does he mean by that? And then right after that, as he's leaving, he says, they don't want me to grow up because then they'll have to face getting old. So that obviously makes a little bit more sense to me. But just the juxtaposition of those two lines, I I really don't know what to make of it. I'm, I didn't really have time to think about it, so this is all flying. It's all the beer talking. It's the beer talking. It's my ass talking. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. <laughs> <laughs> but here's what I got. Lay it on me. Again, looking at through the lens of being a teenager and being a shitty teenager. At that time in your life, it's really easy to look at everything that your parents do as though they are your worst enemy. And they're actively working they're against actively you. They're actively working against you. Yeah. Everything they're doing is to undermine you and undermine your growth and undermine your individuality. And they are just the worst. And so in that sense... Coupled with what he says afterwards about them being afraid to be old, you know, I look at it as the idea of trying to kill your kids is almost like the Munchausen's thing, where yeah. you're trying to keep them sick enough or kill them enough so that they need you. Or maybe not literally kill them, but kill the child in them, because Arnie is one year away from being legally an adult. Right. And there's also, I feel like that's a common theme in 80s movies too. And there was this one line in The Breakfast Club that always stuck out to me. And it was, I can't believe I don't remember her name, but it was like the basket case girl, as she referred to herself. And she said, because they were talking about like how fucked up the principal is in their home lives, their parents. And she says, when you grow up, your heart dies. And like, that's what they believe firmly as teenagers, that when you grow up, your heart dies and you lose your childlike spirit and you lose your passion and just all goes out the window. So maybe, I don't know, maybe it's referring to something like that. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if it really all has that deep of a meaning or not. Again, it's a movie about a killer car, but right. there's, <laughs> I feel like there's, there's a lot here if you want it. If you want it. Yeah. But that would be my impression. It's really just about his idea of what his parents are trying to do to him and... Yeah. I guess the other thing, too, is when you're really trying to branch out and become an individual. Mm -hmm. We all do it. We do it to our own friends sometimes, especially in high school, where if somebody tries to do something different than they have been doing or what we know them for, we critique them and we tell them, are you sure you want to do this? We question them every step of the way. Yeah. Even something as simple. I remember I had this one teacher in high school who I wasn't a good high school student and I didn't get to finished traditional high school so i only took like one year with this one dude well he was a gym teacher but he was actually teaching world history when i had him and i think or u.s history anyways the guy was awesome and he was actually a he had coached 
Olympic athletes and had done all kinds of really cool shit with mm-hmm. his life. He was in athletics and coaching and things like that, but he also taught some of these classes. And I remember he did a lot of really neat things in high school where he would do a quote of the day from random people throughout history. And we all have to sit there and basically have a group discussion of like 30 plus students about what the context was of this thing. And it would be a half an hour discussion every single morning of like free form discussion about any particular thing. I love that. Just to get things going. And then another thing that he used to do was instill the Pavlonian aspect of things where if anybody got up when the buzzer, you know, rang, he would make everyone sit oh, yeah. for longer because it's like you're a bunch of trained dogs. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so hey. he was trying to have you unlearn the Pavlovian instincts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, he was trying to, yeah. A, bring to our attention that we had been trained like Pavlovian dogs. And then coupled with that was him trying to help us break that. <laughs> <laughs> but what I was getting at, what I was circumlocuting to, was... There was a point where I remember there was a, a kid, kid, teenager, that had long hair. And he had long hair the whole time we were in class. Was he you? No. <laughs> and then he cut his hair super short, mm-hmm. you know, and he started talking with them about it. And he's saying, I bet you have friends that think you're a cop out and, uh, you know, aren't treating you the same. And he's wow. like, yeah, for sure. You know, and I would just, I, that was a long, long tangent just to go off of the whole aspect of we... Sadly, parents included, oftentimes will punish people, try to kill them for becoming themselves or doing something different than what we are used to them doing or what we've come to construct in our our memory of like who you are. That's not you. Like who the fuck are you? I know who I am. You don't know who I am. This is me. Fuck you. You know, so I I, kind of get that aspect of parents trying to kill their kids line totally yeah that was actually one of my favorite scenes too i feel like there was a lot there sorry i went deeper into that than we should no no it's good so kind of jumping off that a little bit i know there's not a ton of plot to talk about so let's kind of go into more of the themes that we got from this a little bit one of the big ones that came up for me which i i did the exact same thing with the fly with the same theme but i saw a lot of this as a metaphor for addiction so you know it could be toxic relationships it could be even something like mental illness like bipolar disorder because this is probably about the age that those symptoms would start showing up for someone who is bipolar so I kind of got that too but addiction was a big one for me especially with Arnie's change in behavior and even the expression on his face and how volatile he was and his obsession with wanting to spend all of his time on this car and just the fear and concern that his friends had for him just reminded me of knowing somebody with an addiction and knowing somebody who is in the grip of this addiction and the car is a good I won't say vehicle but vessel for this idea because when you have an addiction or a mental illness that isn't treated or diagnosed you don't have the wheel anymore your unchecked illness or your addiction is behind the wheel and is controlling things are you trying to pun no i'm just like (laughs) no you're just like no 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 i just think that car (laughs) like christine is a good metaphor for i know you're like like, behind the wheel losing the wheel i'm like (laughs) no no i'm just tying it like to the the car as like a metaphor for being trapped in an addiction or some kind of 
unchecked illness like that. No, that's a really apt analysis of it. Yeah, I mean, no puns intended, but if you know two oh, or three on. slipped, if two those, or three oh, slipped in there, then I'm you know my work here is done. So. All right. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't looking through addiction. I definitely see. I feel like I always do. Yeah. I always get that because I've known people who have struggled with addiction. It was something that was very prominent in my life growing up. And I, I know for you as well, but I just, I see it all the time. Yeah. I think that's something that's easy to see in a lot of things too. For sure. What about you? I, I think one of my, I had two that were very similar to each other. Yeah. And one of them was just a little bit more face value and the fact that obviously America is obsessed with their vehicles and independent transportation to the point where that's not uncommon at all to see especially in the well this was in the 80s you know but this car came off the line in the late 50s and you you see that a lot in the 50s and 60s and 70s where people would just become identified with their vehicles you know it was it's a status it still is today it's a status thing for sure you know you have to have now you have whether maybe it's not the big muscle cars anymore, but now it's the the Teslas and like South Park, like smelling your own farts kind of thing, <laughs> where you know we do identify with these vehicles and we look at it as an externalization that we want the world to see in us. Yeah. Whether it's a financial status thing, whether it's a morals and philosophical thing, whether it's an attitude thing, whether it's a cool factor, whatever it may be, there is. A lot of just trying to identify ourselves with these objects that are objects. And, you know, I was thinking about it and, you know, life's fucking short. I guess you got to identify with something. So (laughs) I guess it's not the worst thing in the world. But at the same time, it's just kind of sad that we spend that much time and that much effort putting into ourselves or trying to put ourselves into these things that have been designed and built for mass production and don't have anything to do with us. You know, there's so many better places we could be putting our energy and ourselves into. And as such, I feel like Arnie is kind of a representation of taking that too far. Yeah. And how you really, in trying to identify yourself, you really end up just losing yourself. 100%. And becoming part of like this, this toxic cult. And again, it's that whole idea of identifying. First, he's trying to become an individual. And not that he's joined any car clubs or anything like that. But at the same time, I'm thinking about, let's say, motorcycles or being a classic Mustang dude or something. And you get in your groups, right? Yeah. And then it's not fucking cool to do anything else. Like, you have to... Like, why does every single Harley guy have to have the leather fucking chaps? Like, what the fuck? Or whatever (laughs) it may be. Like, why do they have to do that one thing? And if you don't do it then you're not part of the fucking club and you're a poser and you're a piece of shit. And I feel that Arnie could be a representation of just trying to individualize himself and then losing himself to this other entity. Totally. If you're a Harley guy, uh, bloodfearandbeer at gmail.com, let us know if we missed something, if we're totally off base here, we want to hear from you. Please don't be mad at us, <laughs> but we want to hear from you. <laughs> but yeah, going off of that you know, theme of trying to almost aggressively establish your individuality, which is such a huge part of our culture, there's that one scene where Arnie has Dennis in the car towards the end, and he's pounding beers, driving recklessly, and he says to Dennis, there is nothing finer than being behind the wheel of your own car. 
just kind of yeah. hammers that home. But yeah, there's really a lot of themes you can pull from this. Another one that I got that I'm sure all of us could relate to when we were teenagers in high school around that age is when your friend gets into a bad relationship or starts hanging out with the wrong crowd maybe and you just can't fathom why they don't see what you're seeing and they don't see how bad for them this person or this group or this whatever they're getting into is and just that kind of hopelessness you feel as you're watching them be changed by this person or this experience and there's nothing you can do and later on in the movie after everything comes to a head and there's that detective he says that you know some things can't be helped and some people too sometimes there's just nothing you can do yeah and i guess that's part of the tragedy of it i mean his friends his his parents dennis lee they did everything they possibly could to try and help arnie and get him out of the situation and destroy christine and they couldn't do it right and that happened yeah it's kind of like we were talking about earlier like sometimes you get out of that sometimes you have friends that can help you out sometimes you get lucky and other people don't yeah super sad yeah and, and then my other aspect of that like i said they're very similar but the other part of it was not so much looking at just the car aspect of it but it was consumerism and it started out with like an assembly line in the year of our ford you know and <laughs> uh and the whole idea behind just having again ownership of things and objects and even you know he had been the total dweeb and now he wants to basically own the hottest girl in school and he wants to show all now you have all these alpha males that out there that were trying to demean him and he's got to become bigger and better than they are and yeah to the point where he's ready to kill them over it and whoever stands in his way and willing to take on his parents and destroy that relationship and take you know and we see that so often in this idea of success like what success is and consumer not just consuming but status i guess is a better way to put it and what we're willing to do to to get that status and what we consider that to be that didn't even cross my mind when we were watching this like the theme of themes of status and consumerism so i'm really glad you brought that up that's really compelling like I said, it was a movie about killer car, so yeah. I'm not sure how much of that was actually there or not. But. <laughs> it's, it was, it's there <laughs> but for us. But you gotta look for some things, yeah? Yeah. I found a lot with this, and I wanted to ask you, what did you think about the mileage on Christine moving backwards as she drives? What's up with that? I felt like she was just sucking the life force out of him. Yeah? Like, the more, it was kind of that whole idea where you are... A, gaining your own identity, but then you're losing it to the cult or to the group or to whatever object that is. Yeah. And at first he was gaining power and status. And then once he was one of us, (laughs) then Christine started to take it from him. Okay. I dig it. So moving away from some of the deeper stuff a little bit, I feel like we should talk a little bit about the real star of the show, which is Christine and some of her... Exploits? Exploits, yes. Thank you. So, I don't know about you, but one of my favorite scenes in this entire movie, just special effects-wise and how cool it was, was after the group of bullies just completely smash her to shit, completely total the car, and Arnie comes back into the garage and sees the damage, and he says to her, show me. And then she just starts repairing herself. Well, because as he was sitting there, he like was kind of freaking out, and he was 
like trying to put like broken shit back together and yeah. then he turned around just kind of flabbergasted about everything that was going on and exhausted with it and all of a sudden i think one of the taillights or something it's like a little pop there's like a pop and he saw something like kind of go back into place yeah and he turns around and at this point he had already thought there was something weird i think we had already had this oh we definitely had the scene where the carl tried to kill his girlfriend because his right. girlfriend was like talking shit on the car yeah she was jealous and then it almost choked her yeah then with all this going on all of a sudden he realizes okay there's something with this car and he says show me and that's where they really build the relationship together loved that scene that was so cool oh yeah you know what's really cool about that i read that was actually a post-production thing Oh, really? Yeah, they weren't even going to have any of that in there. That whole idea of that resurrection, that was going to be an off-screen thing. Oh, man. And then John Carpenter afterwards was like, you know, we really didn't have all that much special effects stuff. And he asked the... They had their special effects crew and everything, and he asked them to see what they could do about trying to basically make that scene happen. Yeah. And uh, obviously they do the destruction in reverse, but what I also write is that they... Well, a few things. There's one, they also did the camera upside down when they filmed it. Interesting. To help with the idea, like, the play on gravity mm-hmm. and the way it looked on film. Of, like, things falling and stuff like that. And then they also were using, like, hydraulic presses and stuff that bend it into shape. Yeah. So it looked better when it bent out of shape. Oh, that's awesome. Or back into shape, I should say, when yeah. it reversed it. But that was a really impressive scene. That looked fantastic. I could not find a flaw with it. I love that. Loved was that was great. I love the way they did that. Yeah. You know, from the, the big stuff, you know, the whole denting of the whole front of the hood and the engines like torn apart. That's one of the first things. I think that's what popped into place. There's a couple of the headers that are up there. Yeah. And um, one of the headers like pops back into position or out of, out of being dented. And then it moves on from there. And then one of my favorite things is after everything's done, there's like the side mirror that kind of goes like, kick yeah. back up and then like adjust itself back into the perfect position. I loved that. That was a great scene. I also loved all of the scenes where she was like out on her nightly prowls, oh, just yeah. like taking down these bullies one by one, just solo driving. And, you know, the first one she kills, it's a Moochie, they call him. She chases him down this alley that she can't fit down, so she, like, squeezes herself in and just rams him into the wall. Cuts him in half. Cuts him in half. We don't see it, but we find out later from the detective that he was cut in half. And my favorite, like, solo kill for Christine was when she goes to the gas station, crashes into the gas station, and then just becomes engulfed in flames. And... You just have this flaming car chasing, chasing after this guy on the road in the middle of the night. And there's like this badass John Carpenter score playing over the background. That was a cool scene. Loved it. That was, yeah, that was really neat seeing that car just engulfed in flames riding down the road. That was like, that just made me want to go out and burn rubber. Seriously. Like I loved that, that scene. Was, that was cool. So good. Also, that gas station, that's not that surprising. I mean, it's a movie and all that. Yeah. But... Like, they built that whole gas station just to burn just it down. Just to blow it up? Yeah. Yeah, Which I remember reading that, too. I, gotta, like, I want to do that. Oh, yeah. Build just something build to blow something it up. So blow it up. Super fun. <laughs> yeah, all the effects with the car looked fantastic. I also loved the final showdown in the garage with Dennis and Lee. And then, at that point, most of the bullies, are, or all of the bullies, are dead. The car has regenerated several times. Arnie is just in full monster mode. 
He's been abusive to Lee. She's broken things off with him. His parents have no idea who he is anymore. And it's kind of like their last ditch effort to destroy Christine to save Arnie. So they go into the garage when they believe that he's not there. And they have this like bulldozer that they get into. And I think their plan was to... Oh no, they're waiting for Christine to come back from her nightly prowl. Because they know that like... They're they're fully on board with the the supernatural aspects of this. There's and no that, that's one thing I it. liked about this is they're not trying yeah. to explain it. Yeah, they're it's like, just this is fucking bananas, but this is what's happening. Yeah, like it's the car. The car is evil. Like something's up with that car. There's no question about it. They're on board. So I think they were gonna like wait for her to come through the door and then trap her in the door and use the bulldozer, right? Yeah, something like that. Something like that. So then Christine shows up, and just like all the other scenes where she's out on her killing sprees, the windows are totally blacked out so you can't see inside the car. And there's this kind of intense showdown where Lee is outside on the ground almost as like bait in a way and the car is just like accelerating after her, trying to hit her. And Dennis is in the bulldozer trying to get an angle on the car so he can hit that. And then the car goes to the end of the garage and we see that Arnie is actually behind the wheel of Christine this time. Right. He's in the car. So do you think on the other, some of the other nights that he was also in the car? Or do you think this is the first time? No, I think it was the first time. I'm not even convinced that he was driving the thing. I guess he wouldn't have been in the car when it was on fire. Definitely not. (laughs) And he actually showed Dennis when he was doing his macho shit, like drinking and everything. He was like taking his hands off the wheel. Yeah. Yeah. Like, look at that alignment. Yeah. Like, the the car is its own thing. Yeah. I, I don't think Arnie has any control over it. Yeah, I think you're right. And at this point, he looks completely unhinged. And I will give it to that actor. He has great crazy eyes. He did do well on that. He's very good at the crazy eyes. So, it kind of comes to a head. Lee and Dennis are able to survive. She makes it up into the bulldozer after Christine crashes. But when Christine crashes into the little office... To try and get to Lee, Arnie flies through the windshield and he's like impaled by a piece of glass and he dies. And that's essentially the end of it for Arnie. So Christine is kind of still trying to kill them, but they're both in the bulldozer. So they run her over six or seven times until she's completely smashed and then take her to the junkyard where she is condensed into a cube. So they feel that they're disposing of her for good. And it does a close up on this cube of a car of what's left of Christine and it looks like part of the front fender just starts to twitch a little bit and then Bad to the Bone starts playing again and that's the end of the movie. (laughs) I also right before that part actually happened one thing we forgot to mention which is they kind of give Christine a personality in a sense Mm -hmm. because almost every single time at least in the beginning she'll put music on right before something happens or something's happening and the lyrics will be related to what's going to happen or That's what's right. happening. There's, I think there's a point where Dennis actually tries to break into the car or somebody does. And then the song comes on and it was like, you can't come in Jack or something like that. <laughs> and then stuff like that, where it's, you know, the, the lyrics are relevant. Yeah. And so you have that little bit of a personality with the music. And then as the car is squished into this little cube, they hear this creepy 50s music comes on and it was something again kind of apt of like you can't get rid of me or something something, <laughs> something like that and then all of a sudden like you see one of the workers walk by with a huge boom box on her shoulder like they did in the 80s yeah so that was kind of a funny scene where they give you that first little 
Is she still there? Yeah. Kind of moment. And then the real one was that little. Hmm. <laughs> oh, and then the last thing Lee says is, God, I hate rock and roll. Yeah. <laughs> and then it cuts out. But yeah, I mean, overall, I had a lot of fun watching this movie and I had even more fun talking about this movie. I feel like there's a, a lot here if you want it. And if you don't, it's still a fun movie about a killer car. Definitely. It was, and Stephen King. I mean, yeah. It is what it is. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> you get what you get with those kind I love, of things. I love Stephen King movies. Like, I, I always have a, sto- a soft spot for those. And just the, like I said, the holy trinity of having it be an 80s horror movie that's a Stephen King adaptation directed by John Carpenter. Like, I'm here for it. Yeah. I dig it. It was better than I thought. I know that you still think you're going to convince me, but I remember seeing Carrie. And I hated that. Oh, man. And based on my recollection, I liked this better than I liked Carrie at the time. Did you? Oh. And I think that it was definitely better than I was ever hoped a killer car movie could be. <laughs> so I got to give them that. And it was fun. It was, yeah. And I definitely can't and won't promise that I could ever convince you that Carrie is good. It's just I don't have the, the confidence to do that because I, I feel like that one's kind of a love it or hate it movie. And I absolutely love it it's not for everybody for sure but yeah that one is still one of my favorite Stephen King adaptations for a lot of reasons there's a lot going on there I definitely think that when we do cover that one even if you don't love the movie there will be plenty to talk about there's a lot there so you can at least rest assured that you'll have something to talk about can't guarantee you'll love it but yeah I really liked this movie Um, as far as the ratings go we rate on a scale of 0 to 12 beers, and I've been pretty steady with this one from the get-go, and I think I'm going to stick with the original rating I have, but I liked this movie. I really enjoyed talking about it. I had fun with it. I think the effects were great. The score was great, and I just had a good time watching it. So I'm going to give it an 8 out of 12. Oh, that's generous. Yeah. I, I think this one deserves an 8, just for entertainment value and for giving me a lot to talk about and think about all right i'm going to seven okay that's yeah that's good totally fair yeah i'm a sucker for 80s horror yeah. i gotta no i i respect <laughs> I, I respect the time and i may have a softer spot for it had i seen it when i was younger for sure me too but yeah everything considered it was not a great movie no I think that's objectively not a great movie. Yeah. <laughs> I think we can all, all come to terms with that. That being said, it did a lot of things that were good, and it did a lot with what it had, and I respect that. For sure. So what kind of beer would you pair Christine with? I would have to go with the Racer IPA. Nice. That's perfect. From Bear Republic. That is perfect. It's a nice, uh, super bitter, and... Uh, it's a racer. Yeah. So, why perfect. not? That's perfect. I can't think of a better beer pairing for this movie. Racer X, if you like it extra bitter. Yes. Extra hoppy. Love it. So, this was my pick. Thank you for watching it with me and giving me so much to talk about. What are we covering next time? So, this week we are going to watch a movie I have not seen for quite some time. And I've been in the mood to. Seven. Yes! All right, I've been dying to watch that again. I've been more in the mood for it, not that it's that big of a mystery yeah. anymore, but in like kind of a murder mystery type of thing. Hell yes. And that one's just classic, so I think that'll hold up just fine. And it's 
David Fincher. David Fincher, the Nine Finch. Snails. Yeah. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. Good pick. Fincher with the Ninch. <laughs> awesome. So seven. I haven't seen that in a while either. I yeah. I I kept on wanting to do it, but then things were coming up and yeah. It's time. It's one of my most quoted movies. What's in the box? Yeah. What else do you quote from it? Just that. Just that. <laughs> You know the whole speech at the end about <laughs> chaos and <laughs> doom. <laughs> no, just that. <laughs> by, by volume or by... <laughs> just repetition. Right. Awesome. I'm looking forward to that one. So... <laughs> How often do you need that line? What's in the box? <laughs> All the time. Anytime there's a box. Anytime? What Anytime. About... Even... What, if... <laughs> what, if... <laughs> what about if it's a bag? Do you still use the what's in the box? Sometimes, if I'm feeling silly. Yeah. Yeah. It's Which is most of the time. Most of the time, yeah. Right. So, so yes, all the time. All right, so. Well, seven is in the box this time. Fuck yeah. I can't wait. All right, well, you guys have been awesome, and this has been super fun. And you can, of course, follow us on Instagram at Blood, Fear, and Beer Podcast. If you have questions for us, movie or beer suggestions, just want to say hi or share stories about anything we've covered on the show so far, we would absolutely love to hear from you. And you can email us at bloodfearandbeer at gmail.com. If you get a chance, please go on Apple Podcasts or iTunes and rate, review, and subscribe. It really, really helps us out. It helps us pop up in searches faster, helps other horror fans find us. So if you get a chance to do that, we greatly, greatly appreciate it. And you guys have been awesome. I'm looking forward to watching Seven. And until next time, keep it spooky. Keep it spooky. Cheers. Thank you.